Turn with me please to uh, the Bible. We're going to read Daniel 1 together this morning. This is the word of God to us today through the prophet Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favour and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? And then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over them, over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, he said, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter. And he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, this morning we read about a young man and uh, his friends in exile in a country called Babylon. Lord, this is a time of great concern and unrest for the people of God. It is a great time of testing. But it is also a time where you reveal your hand and you show your favour and blessing on those who look to you and trust in you. So as we learn from this passage today, may we be people who look to you. May we be people who trust in you with all our hearts. And may you work in us and through us for your honour and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard it said many times from this pulpit uh, in recent years that we live an incredib- in an incredibly uh, secular culture today. A culture and society that is becoming more opposed to institutional religion and particularly to Christianity. In fact, more voices are speaking out more regularly and more frequently in criticism of our faiths and our beliefs as Christians. You've heard the names tossed around in society like being bigoted, intolerant, homophobic and irrelevant. That's how we're becoming more and more seen in a progressive society. More and more we're finding ourselves being pushed to the margins and we're quickly discovering that as followers of God that we are becoming strangers in a strange land. We are in exile. And you know, there's a resulting number of paths that people then choose in response to the difficulties that we face, that Christians choose. I want to highlight particularly two of the main ones this morning. The first we might call the path of separation. This is where some Christians choose to retreat into their own little communities of faith for comfort and security and protection. Those of you familiar with the old uh, westerns, it's circle the wagons time. As the well, you know, the uh, opposing forces come and uh, and attack, it's circle the wagons, hunker down, and uh, and protect ourselves, and seek to fire shots and attack those who are attacking us. We view the world as the enemy, and we choose to keep it at bay by any means possible, and attack it at any opportunity that we can. For the part, those who choose the path of separation, faith is practised privately and in the safe confines of church. And that's the way that the world would prefer for us to practise our faith today. The second response is one we might call the response of participation. This is where some Christians choose instead to adopt the majority opinion to go along with the crowd, to seek to blend in so as not to be criticised. I mean, after all, who wants to stick their head up up above the trenches? I need to have it shot off. You know, we are fundamentally people who don't like to stand out in a crowd. We don't like to be the ones who are focused, uh, a focus point of attack, if you like. That's natural. 
For those who seek the path of participation, it's a go with the flow mentality. And we'll just blend in and just go along with things. The thing is, though, folks, that neither of these two paths are the paths that God calls his church and his followers to walk. We are called to be holy people. But we're also called to be people who go out into the world in order to make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. You've heard that saying before, many of you. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, the challenge we face today as followers of Jesus is to how we, do we do this rightly? How do we do this faithfully? How do we do this courageously and boldly for Jesus? Because it's not easy, is it? It's not easy. And the danger that we may repeatedly the danger is that we may repeatedly fall into this path of separation or participation. But God calls us to a better path, and that is the path of transformation. It's this path that we see so wonderfully displayed in the person of Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is probably more familiar with them. You know, there are two types of people in this world today. There are the conformers. Conformers are people who allow outside influences to shape them. Now, in a sense, Christians, as Christians, we are to be conformers, but we are to be conformed not to the ways of this world, but instead we are to be conformed into the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ, into the image of the Lord Jesus Paul reminds us in Romans 12 too about the dangers of being conformed to the pattern of this world where he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, do not allow the world to push you into its shape. But instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So there are conformers, but there are also transformers. And no, they're not the people who are some mechanical objects who are changed from cars to great big robots and things like that. Sorry, that's just a young people's thing there, just to keep the young people interested. Nah, so I'm sorry, guys, that's, a really, that's really poor, isn't it? No, it wasn't. Transformers, folks, are people who influence others. Conformers are the ones who are influenced transformers are the ones who influence those around them and ultimately as christians as followers of jesus we are called to be transformers in this world today in which we live to bring god's life-giving message of salvation and redemption to introduce people to the life-changing power of god through the proclamation of his gospel daniel was such a man he was used by God to be someone through whom God influenced two great and powerful empires and their rulers. 
As I said before, it's Daniel's example, along with his three friends, that we see how God did that and how God might use us to influence the world in which we live. So how can we be like Daniel? I've got three points this morning. The first one is the longest of the three uh, and two short ones after the first one, all right? So bear with me. How can we be like Daniel? The first point is this. The way we can be like Daniel is that we need to resolve in our hearts to be totally committed to God and his ways. We see that in verse 8 this morning. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. I'm not sure we really appreciate the kind of pressure that Daniel and his three friends experienced in this new culture in which they were brought into. There was an incredible amount of pressure on them to conform to the ways of Babylon. We need to remember that Daniel and his three friends are probably only teenagers, around 15 or 16 years of age. Any 15 or 16-year-old boys here in the auditorium this morning? We've got a few... Stick the hands just up, yeah. I won't get you to stand up, it's all right. (laughs) Teenage boys. And their age was one reason that they were chosen to be trained to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Young people were more easily influenced. They, you know, it was easy, they, were, they were more easily intimidated to go along with the status quo of things. There would have been an incredible amount of peer pressure put on Daniel and his friends to conform to the ways of Babylon. They weren't the only young people here in this kind of, in this kind of context. There would have been a number of young people who have found themselves in this same situation, but it's only Daniel and his three friends, I'm not going to keep saying their names, okay? It's only these four young men whose names that we hear through the book of Daniel. They were young, they were more easily influenced, more easily intimidated. Daniel and his colleagues would have been given the best food and wine from the king's table. And here we see the great riches and benefits that were, that were kind of you know, pushed into their faces to tempt them to say, you know what, if you go along with us, look at all this wonderful stuff that you can enjoy. You'll receive the best of the best. And not only that, if you go through that, those three years of training, then what will happen is that you'll then be you know, sort of brought into the king's palace where you will live a life that you could only dream of, of, of living. A life with all of the bells and whistles, all of the, the luxuries and all of the, the wonderful and amazing blessings that went along with living in the king's palace. You know, if you sort of start dangling carrots like that in front of the eyes of not just young people, but anyone, it's, they're, they're pretty significant temptations, aren't they? They were given new names that were designed to make them forget their old culture and religion. And so it would have been easy for them just to go with the flow and embrace this new life with all of the benefits 
that would ensue from that. And let's face it, I mean, you know, what difference does it make? They're, they were, they'd take, been taken out of their country. They've been removed completely from their, their, their old way of life, from their, from their homes, from their families. They were far away from them. They were far away from their own culture. And they could have easily concluded under that sort of situation that they were far away from God. Because, I mean, you know, if God was any kind of God, then surely he wouldn't allow this to happen in the first place. Is he really a God worth serving? Verse 8 reads, But Daniel resolved, resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel chose to draw a line in the sand. Daniel chose to put down his marker right there and then, at that particular point. He made a determined decision in his heart that he was not going to go down that path that he was being tempted with. That word defile, by the way, means to to pollute or to stain something, to bring something to ruin. And Daniel had resolved, he made a determined and conscious decision in his heart that he was not going to allow himself to be polluted or stained or brought to ruin by falling into the temptations of all this stuff that was, that was being brought before him. Yes, he was going to go along and go, go with the, uh, the education and that sort of stuff, even to the point of allowing his name to be changed. But, he said, there is going to be a line in the sand, I will go this far and no further. Now, we're not told the reason why Daniel believed that he would be defiled because of you know, consuming the food from the king's table or drinking of the wine. It could have been to do with the fact that perhaps some of the food may have been deemed unclean under the Mosaic laws and therefore he didn't want to uh, break God's laws in that regard. It could, have, uh, it could be that the, the, some of the food that they, were, that they were being given had been formally um, offered to sacrifice, sorry, sa- um, sacrificed to the idols, to false gods, and so he didn't want to, uh, to consume those foods because he didn't want to be seen as, as being part of that worship of these gods himself. You know, to actually accept the food from someone's table actually meant that you were... Um, that you know, you've sort of entered into a bit of a covenant in that kind of culture with those people. And Daniel did not want to be obligated to the king. So it could have been for any number of these reasons or all of them. But regardless of, of whatever reason it was, it's clear that Daniel saw that this was an issue worth taking a stand over. And he could have been tempted to think, you know what, it's just food and wine. What does it matter? What does it matter? It's just this simple stuff. But how often, folks, how often are we tempted to let the so-called little things slide and compromise on them? It can be a pretty slippery slope. And the impact of small bad choices is well illustrated by 
a story about a giant redwood tree in California. One minister tells the story of this tree. He speaks of this 400-year-old redwood tree that suddenly and without warning toppled to the forest floor. He says, what caused the death of such a majestic giant? Was it fire? Was it lightning? Was it a strong wind? Well, a post-mortem examination revealed a startling cause that tiny beetles had crawled under the bark and literally eaten the fibres of wood away from the inside of the tree. And so although it looked healthy on the outside, on the inside it was virtually hollow and so one day it just finally collapsed. It's a good analogy for us as followers of Jesus that when we compromise on that which is foundational to our faith when we compromise and what it does it just starts to eat away at those foundations and roots of our faith until eventually we have no faith and no witness left and our lives come crashing down every time we compromise a little bit of our christian foundation is eaten away in verse 8 we're told that daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Daniel's course was already set in his heart. That word resolve means a purpose in his heart. Daniel had already made a conscious decision earlier that this was a path that he was not going to walk down. His course of action was carefully thought through and determined, not right at that particular point, but before he is even tempted with that stuff. I cannot stress the importance enough for us as followers today that we need to make sure that we are thinking through the issues about our faith and the things that we will not move on beforehand. They need to be resolved in our hearts a long time before we're even faced with the decision, the choices, the temptations to go against those things. Young people particularly, can I, can I urge you, you are going to be faced with some incredible temptations in these days ahead. And if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it is, there is going to be incredible pressure brought to bear on you guys as to whether or not you, know, you will stand up for your faith and therefore become a target of opposition and ridicule and all kinds of different things or whether or not you're actually going to purpose in your heart like Daniel that you are going to be true to God and, and him and no other but you've got to do it now you can't wait until those times come and for everyone here in our congregation today, I say this clearly, folks, we have got to start deciding in our hearts where we draw the line and the, where, the place where we draw our line is this. As the word of God, the pressure is going to come on us today that the people are going to start to say that you can't believe this, you can't trust this. It was written so long ago, it's so out of date. A lot of it is mythology and stuff like that. It's irrelevant. It's, it's, it's completely you know, irrelevant in a, in a progressive society like we face today. Folks, if we don't stand on this then we, will, we won't stand on anything. 
Daniel's commitment to God demonstrated in this particular choice acted like an anger like like an anchor and the currents of change were flowing incredibly strongly but and Daniel could have easily been swept up in them and swept away with them just as we can today but his anchor kept him secure and that anchor was God and his word we just sung about that this morning what was that from Isaiah the Lord, the Lord is the eternal rock. Our only foundation, our only security. And if we don't hang on to him, then we will be swept away in the current that, is, that we are being bashed against day by day by day. It's interesting that with Daniel and his friends, what starts with an act of courage ends with a lifetime of blessing. Do you get that? What starts with one act of courage ends with a lifetime of blessing. God worked for this courageous teenager and his friends. God protected Daniel when he proposed this particular test. Like Daniel could have gone on with it, but he said, no, I can't do this. And let me instead propose a test. You know, that we might be tested, that we might put our trust in God and be tested that, you know, that God will look after us in the midst of all this temptation that we're facing. And so he proposes this test and God protected Daniel through that. And we see that in verses 10 to 14. The chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, you know, he says, I fear Nebuchadnezzar because like I could lose my head over this. If I say, yeah, it's okay for you not to eat the, the food that's given to you from the king's table. And then, in, you know, you start to look a lot weaker and a lot more frailer than the other men. Then I'm the one who's in serious trouble. I'm going to lose my life. So Daniel wasn't going to get anywhere with the chief of the eunuchs, but with the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel and his friends, he says, test your servant. So Daniel just persisted. He just persisted. And we see through that test that, that, that he was allowed to, to, to do that for 10 days. At the end of that 10 days, Daniel and his friends looked in better condition than all the other guys who were eating food from the king's table. God protected Daniel through that. And God will protect us as his people. He will protect you as his people. That doesn't mean that God will you know, prevent any, any you know, significant difficulties and challenges from coming into your life. That's not what God says at all. But ultimately, God will bring you through them. God protected Daniel. God prospered Daniel through the test and also afterwards. We see that at the end of it, they came through it with flying colours. And then these guys were taken into this learning, this university of, of Babylon where they excelled and they exceeded you know, beyond all expectations. And when the king finally had them stand before him, none of, no one could be found you know, more equipped and, and, and more better, you know, better uh, in, in more wisdom and understanding than Daniel and his friends. God prospered them. And then ultimately God promoted Daniel in the eyes of the king. Verse 21 says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Because of Daniel's faithfulness, God was with him, God prospered him, and and, and he served these kings and rulers of two great world empires over a period of 60 plus years. 
It brings to mind the words of God in, to Eli in 1 Samuel 2.30 where he says, God says to, to him, those who honour me I will honour. Those who honour me I will honour. And the lesson here, folks, is this, that God-honouring convictions will yield God-given rewards. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. I am not saying that because, you know, you give this much, then God is obligated to give you all this other stuff. That's not how God works. But God does work in that he will be faithful to us. And he will bring us through anything that this world will, will throw at us. And God will watch over you and he will provide for you and he will protect you because you are his. You are his children. And if Jesus would go and die on a cross for you, if God was willing to give the life of his very son for us, then surely he is prepared to give us everything else. Anything else. It may not have seemed important at the time, but his decision, but Daniel's decision not to eat the king's food would shape the next 60 years of his life. And folks, we need to ask ourselves the questions, what kinds of futures are our choices shaping for us today? What kinds of futures are our choices that we make today, are they shaping for us, not only for today, but for the years ahead? We need to resolve in our hearts to be totally committed to God and his ways. That was the long point, by the way. Two short ones to follow it up. The second is this. If we want to be like Daniel, we not only resolve in our hearts, but we also seek to win over others with grace and humility and with the wisdom of God. Daniel didn't kick up a big stink and make demands of his captors. You know, Daniel could have, you know, chucked a little hissy fit and said, I'm not touching that food and, and, and you know, and, and just been really, really difficult to get along with and made life a misery for his captors. But instead, we see this wonderful grace and politeness and respect in Daniel as he seeks to propose this test to eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. And he does this because Daniel has got an incredible confidence in God. And we're told in this that he showed great wisdom. Proverbs 15, chapter 15 and verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If Daniel had made life difficult, then that, his life would have been made difficult too, I, I would imagine. You know, if his captors thought that Daniel was going to make, you know, make life a misery for them, then you know what, Daniel? Guess what? You're the captor here and you've got no idea how hard life I can make life for you. But Daniel acted with grace and humility. He treated his captors with respect and politeness. Romans 12, 21 says, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just this last couple of weeks, I've been horrified to see a, a Logan pastor of an independent Baptist church um, 
preach hatred down there in that particular area. He was deported this week, by the way, back to New Zealand. That's no slight on New Zealand, by the way, either, folks. But he preached hatred against people in that, in that community. And I look at that and I see it on the news and my heart breaks. It breaks for two reasons. The first is the fact that here is a person who calls himself a follower of Jesus who is bringing disrepute on the name of Jesus. How did Jesus... What did Jesus say his disciples would be known for? People will know you by your love for one another. Because we're faced with such a, a society today that is more and more opposed to our beliefs and our faith, the natural response is fear. I get that. God gets that. And that fear can show itself in, in lots of different ways. And so in some ways, I kind of feel a bit for this guy because he's so afraid. But fear is not the answer, folks. We have an amazing God. We have a God who is sovereign over all things. Amen. We don't need to be afraid. What did we sing last week? I am no longer a slave to what? To fear. For I am a child of God. We don't need to respond in this way. We don't need to respond with hatred and anger and attack those who attack us. Because our God is bigger than all of these situations and we are no longer slaves to fear, but we are indeed the children of God, people who are, are embraced by him and we need to show that same embrace and love to those around about us. You know, sadly today, Christians are becoming more and more known for what they stand against and what they stand for. And we as a church have got an incredible opportunity in the culture that we face today to say, you know what? Here, let us show you a better way of living. Let us show you what the love of God, the love of Jesus looks like in action. Let us show you what grace looks like in action. Let us show you what forgiveness and humility and respect and care and concern and compassion and kindness. Let us show you all of these things because these things point people to Jesus Christ. But it's got to start here in this place. Grace, love and humility are to characterise our testimony to an unbelieving world. And folks, people will be more won over by our character and our actions than our words. Now, having said that, we're not to compromise our commitment to Christ, but we're to be ready to answer anyone who asks about the hope that we have in Jesus. And our witness for Christ, therefore, is to be lived out and spoken boldly, yet gently and respectfully. We need to speak, we need to proclaim the gospel because there is no other way of salvation. 
There is no other way in which people can be saved than through faith in Jesus Christ. And people need to understand that Christ came and died for sin and that we are all broken sinners in need of Jesus coming and, 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 and reconciling us to God and then moulding us and shaping us into the people he called us to be, to be like him. That's the only answer to our world today, folks, Jesus. But people will hear us a lot better if they see our words backed up by our actions. If they see that we are people of grace and love and humility instead of people who just attack and who are fearful. We need to win others with grace and humility. And the last one is this. We need to trust in God's sovereignty. All through this first chapter of Daniel, in fact, right the way through the book of Daniel, we're going to see that God is active. In fact, in the first chapter, we see three times, or we, we read three times the words, God gave. God gave. Look at it in verse 2. And the Lord, that is God, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that is, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The people of Judah were faced with this, with this enemy coming in and besieging their, their capital city. Their, their lives were being completely torn apart, and God was behind it. And they could have thought, what on earth is God doing? But God had a purpose. Because for, for hundreds of years prior to this, God's people were not being the people that God had called them to be. They had refused to honour God and his word. They refused to act you know, godlike, godly to those around about them. They refused to act with grace and humility and love and compassion and mercy. And instead they were just in it for themselves. And God let them go for a long period of time before he said, you know what, guys, enough is enough. I need to basically give you a great big shaking. And the way I'm going to do that is by allowing this enemy to come in and take you into exile. Because perhaps in that scenario, you will start to listen to me again and you will start to realise where you've come from. And you will start to be reminded again of how far you have lost your way. And I, I you know, as, as someone who, you know, who looks at, at things today, I cannot help but think that the church is facing all this stuff today because for so long the church in this world has not been the people God has called us to be and God needs to shake us up and God starts and he's going to need to sort out the wheat from the chaff so to speak and he wants to know those who are really serious about living their lives for him and this is going to be a way, you know, the, the, can I just encourage you? The church has always thrived in the margins. The church has always thrived there. Right the way back to the first century when, you know, the church was a, was a minority group. They thrived. And in countries all around the world today where the Christian faith is, is, is hard to be practiced and where the Christians are in the minority the word of God is thriving and the people of God are thriving in those situations. God is blessing and bringing more and more people into, into a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
The church thrives in the margins. And folks, we need not be afraid of being in the margins. But instead, remember that we have got a sovereign God who is in control of all things. And through this passage, we see that you know, God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. We see that, uh, you know, that, that God gave Daniel favour in the sight of the, uh, the steward the, of the eunuchs and then obviously the, the king Nebuchadnezzar and later on the other kings and rulers that he would serve. The heart of a man plans his way, but it is the Lord who establishes his steps, says Proverbs 16. And so as we look around us today and we do see this world that appears to be in chaos at times, where we see world leaders acting unjustly and foolishly and we see our own culture changing rapidly and much of it not for good, we need not lose sight of the fact that God's plan is still being worked out and that nothing takes him by surprise because God is able to change the hearts of men. And God is able to alter the course of history. Three years ago, the United States Supreme Court, which is basically, effectively, is the body of people who really dictate where the American culture goes. They're the ones who dictate the culture, not the president or anyone else. Three years ago, that court, well, that, that Supreme Court bench was dominated by liberal people. In the last two years, we've seen that completely turn around. Now, I'm not saying that that is necessarily, you know, a sign of God, but it shows us that God is in control of things. And although the world might seem to be getting way out of, way out of whack, God is still the one who directs things in our world today. Donald, people like Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un and, and people like that, we see these people of having incredible power, incredible influence. But God put those people in those places and God directs their paths. They think they do, but God does. And God's got the whole world all in his hands. And it's his purposes that are being worked out and we need to trust that because it's so easy to lose sight of that and get afraid. God wants today to raise up new Daniels. He wants to raise up new Hananiahs and new Mishaels and new Azariahs. Men and women of great courage. And I pray that we as God's people today, that we would dare to be like them. That we would dare to be people who stand up like they did. That we would dare to believe that God who has called us to himself will equip us with his spirit and therefore work mightily in us and through us. Folks, please realise today the connection that we have between the time and the place in which we live and God's call upon us. We are not alive today just by chance. God had you in his mind for this very time, for this very place, here in this church and in this community and wherever you, go, wherever you live, wherever you work, God had you in mind and he had you for this time and for this place as he had Daniel and his colleagues for that time and for that place. 
Daniel did not let the temptations of his day interfere with his relationship to the Lord. And I pray that we will be like Daniel, that we will not let the temptations of our day interfere with our relationship with God and take us away from him. He knew that to make his life useful to God, he needed to be obedient in all things. Regardless of what the most powerful king in the world commanded, no matter the pressures and the temptations that were brought to bear, Daniel refused to compromise. He did what he knew God required of him and God blessed him and he blessed others through him. Can we commit ourselves to do the same? Can we commit ourselves to do the same today in our society, in our neighbourhoods? No. Because if we don't, there's plenty of other people God can use. Let's not be cast on the scrap heap, hey? I'm going to spend some time around the communion table. I'll ask the stewards to come forward this morning.